Welcome to the Walking Leader Podcast episode number 251. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Dave Guerra, and welcome back to another episode of the Walking Leader Podcast. As always, the Walking Leader Podcast is for you, current future leaders, to help give you the tools to help you succeed as a leader in your organization as well as in your personal life. Now, the tools of the Walking Leader focus on getting you up and out from behind your desk and out to the front lines where those you lead are in the trenches day in and day out. And attention, all leaders. It is your responsibility to know how the battle is going, and there is no better way to know than to be out on the front lines where the bullets are flying. And now, without delay, let's get this show started. In this episode of the Walking Leader Podcast, we shift gears a little bit. In this episode, it is a rare treat what we're going to do. We've only done this one time so far in the podcast series. That's right, it's an interview. On the afternoon of opening day of deer season 2022 in Montana, I had the opportunity to chat with Dave Nordell. Dave is a U.S. Air Force veteran. He's also an author and a man on a mission. And let's meet him. Let's get you. Let's let's get let's get on with this interview. All right, everybody in here for a treat again. Now, our second interview here on the Walking Leader podcast. And I have Dave Nordell. Dave Nordell is not just an author. He's also a retired United States Air Force Com- uh, Command Chief Master Sergeant of over 30 years service. <clears throat> he is a registered nurse and emergency manager and served as a medic in areas of operations to include Saudi Arabia, Somalia, South America, Iraq, Korea, Japan, and Hungary. Uh, Dave grew up in rural Northern California in a dairy farming community and experienced all that brings all that brings to a young man raised in the late 1960s and 70s. Uh, Dave left home at 19 to join the Air Force and ascended through the enlisted ranks to culminate as the senior enlisted leader for all nuclear missile forces in the United States. Wow. He has uh, vast experience leading small groups and large organizations and has led city government activities and large organizations as an emergency manager for multiple communities through COVID and other disaster situations. Dave currently lives in Montana and is an outdoorsman. How could you not be, right? He is a mentor and speaks to young leaders to aid in their development and future success. He continues to give back the gifts he, he has collected along the way. And Dave Nordell's book, folks, check it out. It's on Amazon and Kindle, paperback, hardcover. It's titled Giving Back, Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond. Leaders are appointed and anointed only by their peers and leaders. I could not agree more. The most awesome title of a book, Dave Nordell. Thank you for joining me this uh, this Saturday afternoon that we're recording this. Thanks. Guess what, Dave? Today's opening day of deer season in Montana. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's a big deal around here. So. Oh, yeah. No, so, I, get you. No, I, I, I appreciate you having me. Um, it's kind of, uh, it, I I guess I should just talk about the, the emotions listening to you read that type of stuff, because, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about the book and a little bit about me and hopefully a lot about um, uh, experiences that I that I have been through in my in my time, not just in the military, but even since I've been out, that uh, will help your help the listeners maybe get their get their mind in an introspective way, where uh, they can be better leaders and they can also start growing leaders that uh, 
that, um, you know, can take a nugget as I put in the book, uh, the book is full of nuggets. So yeah, I'm excited about that. You know, I think that, uh, I think personally, because I grew up, you know, on a dairy farm and, and the book has a lot of corollaries towards from, from my time as a young kid on a, on a farm and how I took a lot of those lessons directly to leading people, uh, in, in some pretty austere situations, we'll talk a little bit about that. And some austere situations do include combat and trying to, you know, get people out and, and back home safe and sound uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, all of that. So, so there's a lot there, but uh, I think everything that I personally think that everything you need to know in life, you can learn on the farm. Uh, you know, there's life and death and there's uh, trial and tribulation. And there's a lot of uh, ups and downs. And, you know, Mother Nature intervenes at a level that you don't control. And uh, you have a lot of opportunities to have a bad attitude and a lot of opportunities to just kind of throw your pitchfork down and quit. And I grew up with a lot of people that uh, I watched work through adversity, uh, built systems and relationships that we would that we would call resilient or built resiliency. And they uh, and they had a spirit and a way about them that even in the worst of times uh, was uplifting. And so I was given all those gifts. I mean, just early on in life, I was given those gifts from from the people that uh, that well, you know, and I worked with and 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 around and 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 that raised me. I was given those gifts. So that got to transfer into you know thirty years of, of military time. You know, we were talking before uh, before we went on on uh, on the recording. Uh, and you know, you know, as well as I do, the day you walk in the United States military, they're training you to lead the very first day. You don't realize it on the first day. You just, you're worried about making your bed and, and, you know, folding things the right way. But on the very first day they're trained, they're, they're teaching you to lead, which is an amazing thing because, you know, as I was saying, most people, they don't see any type of formal leadership intervention to, to groom or develop them. I think the national average is like 42 years old by the time they get their first taste of that. So everything's a pickup game until that point in time. And so when you go to the book and, and the things that I share in the book, you know, uh, that's what it's like. There's nuggets in there. And, and as we were talking, I just don't, I don't think it's fair for people like you and I and, and, and people that are out there leading or have led, I don't think it's fair for us to take all of this stuff to the grave because these are things that save people's lives and, and save their emotions and, 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 and really affect the people that they're touching. Cause if you, if you think about leadership compared to everything else, you and I could be the manager of a, of a $2 million project and have a, have one of those boards on your, on your wall and, move little magnets around and, and have a Gantt chart and chase all the, all the, all the project management things. But in essence, the most important person in the whole project management is the, is the foreman that's moving people. How, how, he, how that him here, um, he or she is, is handling their people, moving their people. You know, you can throw off a whole project by having 10 people quit. And um, we're going to talk, we'll talk a little bit about where I'm at with my second book and it's coming, but it talks a lot about why people quit, why people quit their leaders or why people quit. And, you know, societally, we're in a time right now, uh, especially with uh, the, the, um, the Gen Z's 
that are coming into the workforce, this quiet quitting thing is starting to become real. And COVID, you know, COVID really challenged us in, in a leadership environment that uh, uh, some people rose to the top and some people kind of fell by the wayside uh, organizationally. So, yeah, so here I am just to chit chat and uh, and go through some things and we can talk about pretty much anything you like. Uh, there's a couple of stories I like to share a little bit about courage and and talk a little bit about core values and, and some things that um, are are probably core to most institutions that we're in, but uh, how we handle those, I think is really important. So I appreciate being here. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you. And and yeah, you did, you reached out and I thank you for reaching out, following up with me because otherwise I would not have, I, it would have just sat where it was. And I was like, yeah, but I'm glad you're here and great stuff. And I want to touch on a couple of little points you mentioned, and I've got some questions out of those points. Uh, you know, you mentioned about uh, austere situations and austerity. I'm more sure you're going to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, I'm a firm believer when it comes to austerity, that creates challenge and challenge creates change. Change creates leaders. And even in this time now, in, in this financial times that we're look like which we're going to start slipping right into uh, austerity and, and austere situations are definitely going to become the norm, especially coming out of this period of covid and i'm kind of tying it all together in that it forced change on us and now going in on that back end um just just a quick observation do you see that we're going to start seeing a different type of leader because of covid and now the 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 economy and then what's coming down the line well i think you would agree that most people admire certain things in leaders and, and it's pretty cliche I mean, it's not something that I would write in the book that says, if you're this, 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 and this, you're a good leader because um, it has to be genuine, right? You have to, you have to actually have developed or own those traits from the time you were born or, you know, when you were young, you have to own those, those type of traits. So one of the things that we do admire in our leaders is the fact that they can be positive. They can take things that are pretty dreary. And they can find the, you know, for lack of being cliche, the silver lining in the cloud. They can find those things and accentuate and kind of rally people around, uh, you know, what the future is going to look like and what, you know, what it all looks like on the back end and and talk about perseverance and how that's going to pay off and have some strategies and those type of things. So to answer your question, I think we're going to have probably some levels of, of challenge throughout our country and throughout our world and as with with most things the challenges will be different based on our socioeconomic status and so there needs to be leadership in all of those areas so not there's no cookie cutter leader that's going to lead a whole society or a world uh just with one style so I agree with you. There's going to be there's going to be some challenges, and and what the priorities are, uh, are going to matter. And so we need to pay attention. So a leadership thing that that and I and I have it in the book is you don't know what you don't know, so you better go find out. And the example I use in the book is an example from basic training. Just being naive to the world, I was a farm kid. As a farm kid, I was raised in a brown community, Portuguese Mexican community. Um, I'm a fourth immigrate, fourth generation immigrate, immigrated um, Portuguese man. In fact, I'm the last one that has Portuguese lineage on both sides all the way through. So, 
uh, and I was, and, and I grew up in the fields and in the schoolhouse and with the neighbors of Mexicans, immigrant Mexicans. Well, that gives you some perspective on the world, but it doesn't give you all the perspective on the world. And when I got to, when I got to basic training, Dave, uh, my language and my jokes and uh, what I thought was perfectly fine wasn't. And when when things came out of my mouth that were extremely inappropriate, I got a visit from a couple of people in our in our flight that said, "Hey, what's your problem?" And when I sat down and started listening, they what great gifts from from a couple of guys. Uh, half of my flight, you know, here's the country boy Dave shows up. They make me a student leader. I'm a squad leader. And uh, and I've got words in my vocabulary that seem extremely natural to me that aren't. And in fact, they're 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 terrible words. And and th- those all started to go away at that point in time. But no, I, they sat me down and said, what's the deal? And they explained to me what that means to them and how that makes them feel and all those type of things. And I made a pact with myself at that point in time that I was never going to wonder again. If I looked across the room and I saw somebody, you know, to your point, think about this. If, if people are saying, I just need water, that's a real thing. If people are saying, you know, I, I gas prices, whatever it is economic, I can't feed my kids. There's, you know, I, I need to go on WIC. You know, we can talk about um, our active duty soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Coast Guardmen, spacemen. Now, we can talk about them being on WIC. I, you know, not everybody knows that, 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 that they have to have government assistance, even though they're in the military. So you got to go find out. You know, and the example that I like to use is if you see somebody that's extremely obese and they're sitting 25 yards away from you, you can make a lot of assumptions. And, you know, you can say that they overeat, they're lazy, they can't exercise, you know, you can give a that you can tag them with a thousand things and go on about your day and then talk about that person you know 25 minutes later to a friend or you can go over and engage with them and you don't have to ask them you know why they're heavy you just engage with them and, and odds are you're going to find out something and sometimes it sounds like yeah i used to be you know look at this magazine that's me on the front cover i used to be a you know world-class model until I got this form of cancer, which slowed my metabolism and I can't, you know, I can't deal with food and I've gained all this weight and it's pretty depressing. Two completely different perspectives. The only difference is, is that we made, we made an effort to find out. So when you talk about a different kind of leader, I think that that's what, what it's going to take. You're the, you know, all those, all the, all the, the, the book learning type of leaders, you know, the directive leaders and the, the, the uh, collaborative leaders and the laissez-faire leaders and the absent leaders. And I don't think that we have, we have an opportunity to have leaders in this day and age. If they want to be good leaders and people want to respect them and they need some followership and to work through these, these uh, challenges that we have coming, I don't believe that we have any room for laissez-faire hands-off leaders. It's you're going to have to get dirty. You know, we've lived through, some rough times with with what I would call less than good leaders, right? They're not, you know, self-appointed, self-appointed and self-anointed leaders if you take it off of the cover of the book. And and quite frankly, they do a great job of moving the deck chairs on the Titanic, but none of them are brave enough to throw on a pair of rubber boots and a rain suit and go down four levels to find out where the hole is in the ship and help somebody fix it. 
So we're going to need some hands-on hands-on leadership. That's that's Dave's that's Dave's take on the world. Uh, you know, based on based on your question. So yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have some leadership challenges, and people are going to navigate or to and 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 follow the type of leaders that don't mind suffering with them a little bit and really doing the hard work to get it uh, to get it across the finish line. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I, I concur. And as I was formulating the question, it's like, yeah, no, I, I get it. And it, it's, it's all the way around. If you're not where the bullets are flying, you don't know what's going on. You can't lead. Um, and I've said that time and time again, it's you've got to get your hands dirty. And if you're not prepared to get your hands dirty, you're not prepared to be a leader. You're not prepared to even manage even I'm, baseball cards used to, you know, you can manage a deck of baseball cards. You know, sometimes they got sticky with the gum. So that's right. Right. No, I'm with you. I'm going to take you through a story. We can do it whenever you want. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. take Go you ahead. through a story that, that just is absolutely, absolutely nails it. It's a personal story. Um, it's a it's a main focus of the book. If you look at my stuff, you'll see hashtag Max Fab on there. And that hashtag will take you to, you know, my my speaking stuff and my consult consultation stuff, stuff that I do for business leaders and and companies and and individuals and those type of things. Uh, but Max Fab is is wrapped around the story that exactly um, frames what what uh, you're talking about. So you tell me when you're ready for it. It's it's kind of the signature story. No, um, go I'm going to be speaking on it in a couple of weeks. So by all means, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, so um, so. I'll take you down memory lane here a little bit, Dave, because because we've all experienced this. But when uh, George W. Bush um, decided to do the surge in Iraq in 07 and 08, um, I got selected. I was already a chief. I was already uh, E9 chief. I was a group superintendent at the medical facility in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And I was selected to go be the senior enlisted medical leader for the theater trauma hospital for the whole country of Iraq. So anything bad that happened to you in Iraq, uh, it, it ended up in our building. So sometimes two days removed from injury and sometimes two minutes removed from injury. It just depends on where you're at in Iraq. And so the mission was, was to marry up with the, with the commander and take 235 medics, everything from neurosurgeons to administrative people and everything in between that run a hospital, a level one trauma hospital, and do world-class trauma care and make that work and keep everybody mentally, physically, and emotionally happy and get them all uh, home safe, which uh, which we did. But there was there was actually a, a purple heart or two in that unit from, from some really weird stuff that happened. So... So I'm, I, you know, I'm packing my stuff up in, in North Dakota and I'm thinking, okay, how do I do this? Right. And th this is not my first austere in environment. In fact, my first really, really austere situation was in Somalia in 1993, uh, right on the heels of Black Hawk Down. I got there on the 7th or 8th of October and the Black Hawk Down was on the 3rd. So it was still a full, full blown kind of deal. And, and so I've been through some things and we may get to another story or two. So I thought, what in the world are we going to do to build this organizational culture that is these silver linings, these things that you kind of kind of led into? And and it really applies to the kind of leadership we're going to need today and exactly what you just said. So 
I'm on the plane and I come up with two things, Dave. One is I absolutely hate push-ups. I just cannot stand them. And, you know, in a, even in the Air Force, it's it's a necessary evil. You've got to do them. You're evaluated on them. You've got to do so many in a minute or, or two minutes, depending on what service you're in. And uh, that's that's based your promotions and your longevity and everything is based on that. But I hated them. And so I said, we're going to do push-ups. I'm going to do push-ups. A lot of them. Uh, part of it's, you know, sharing pain with your, with your fellow, uh, your, your fellow soldier, sailor, airmen or Marines, which I had all of them working for me. Some of it's shared pain and some of it's self-improvement, right? Push-ups make you stronger in there. And, and in the end, they're not all bad. There, there's some, a lot of good that comes out of that. So we were going to do that. We we're going to do some push-ups. And then I thought, how, what is the attitude that I want projected every day from my people? What's the attitude I'm going to project and what do I need them to project? So, so I get in country, I swap with the, with the guy I'm replacing. He's obviously happy to get out of there. And so I go to work and the typical work day for the entire time of my tour, the typical work day was probably about four 30 in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. And I'd get out of there by 10 30 or 11 unless we had something really bad going on and then it didn't matter I mean, you were up all hours of the night or you you know there was plenty of midnight work so uh our offices we had hard office buildings that were old iraqi offices and the, and the trauma center attached right onto the trauma center and uh, uh so one of those was my office well on the far end of the hall where i came in came into that section of the building was the chaplain's office. So I would come in, I would physically get on my knees and I'd let the chaplain pray over me. And the amazing thing was, was that one day it was a rabbi and the next day, there's like only three rabbis in the whole department of defense. And we had one there. It was pretty cool. Uh, one was a rabbi. One was a Catholic priest and a you know Baptist minister, you name it. And quite frankly, all the words came to be pretty close. And it was foundationally for me, it was just give me a little bit of strength to work through the day. Then the next stop was uh, the admin section, and and these admin people aren't really admin people. They're they're the people that moved planes and and people around the world, so that when you were injured on the battlefield or or or, or elsewhere, we had you home, and you know we had you out of the country in twenty four hours, and sometimes back with your loved ones in you know twenty four forty eight hours, which was amazing. And so in I went and I said, okay, we're going to do some push ups, and they all looked at me like I was crazy, and I said, listen, we're going to do push ups, and I said, I get it. We don't like doing push-ups, but we're going to do push-ups. And I said, we're just going to start with five. Uh, by the time I left, it was a lot more than five, but we're going to start with five push-ups. And I would go to each each area as they were shifting over and I could look everybody in the eyes and and have my hands on things and and to do that. And so we would we did our, our five push-ups. Well, to your point, people want to know how their leaders are doing. So one thing is you have to be present. So Push-ups are make you pretty present. So, um, so yeah. So you know, the question gets asked. You know, Chief, how how are you doing? And you know, it's that's an innocuous question to most, but uh, it's pretty important. The answer is extremely important, especially coming from a leader. And so I would answer, I am maximum fabulous. 
And that would make that would stop people. I mean, it just in fact, I I do it at the coffee shop in the mornings and it just freezes. The whole shop stops and everybody looks at me when I say it, which and there's goodness in it because it usually drives a smile. And they would say, Chief, what are you talking about? And I said, hey, guys, you got to listen. I said, Maximum Fabulous is the, is the top of the hierarchy and attitude. I said, it's, 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 the, it's the mountaintop. And I said, I know every day we're not going to be Maximum Fabulous, but if we're not working towards Maximum Fabulous and trying to understand that that's, you know, our attitude drives a lot of our performance and our outlook and, and you know, keeps hope instilled and, and, you know, moving forward, whatever we're doing. I said, that's, that's vitally, vitally important. So lots of push-ups and lots of maximum fab for the, you know, as the, as the, as the, the tour rolls on. And this got, this got so inculcated into the unit that uh, we had, we had, we had two, we had two auxiliary units, two helping units. We had a contract with um, a Turkish uh, housekeeping company that was actually in the AOR in the, in the combat zone with us that did our housekeeping. Now imagine housekeeping in a, in a theater trauma hospital that's uh, pretty involved. And we had some interior security done by Ugandan guards. And, and in fact, I'm still in touch with some of those guys today. Dave, those guys did push-ups. Didn't even have to, but they wanted to be part of what we were doing. It was a big deal. So I'll give you some stats, but so we rolled through the entire tour. We did pretty well. One of the docs got got uh, hit with some shrapnel, and but uh, everybody was everybody was upright, alive, and and able to go home. And so the boss asked me. He said, "He said, Dave, we uh, we want to give you something when you go." He says, "Do you have anything in mind? You know, what do you want?" And so I made a joke. I said, I want that. I want it, it. It's a joke only because it was, it was unattainable. And I knew it. I said, I want the American flag out of heroes highway. Now heroes highway is a, was a short tented area that went from the helicopter pad into the trauma center. And in the top of that tent was a, an American flag that was draped throughout the top of the tent. Dave, this flag's so big that when it's folded properly, it takes probably about four people to carry it. It's, it's huge. I told him I wanted one of those flags and he said, well, you know, you're nuts because all those flags are spoken for and, and they're all going in museums in the United States. So if you're in DC and you go to the, the, the health and medical museums, you'll see these flags with the time frames that they, they flew there in, in blood. And so, uh, so I said, yeah, I know I can't have the American flag. I said, but I'd like the flag off the top of the, off the top of the trauma center, the, Red Cross, Red Crescent flag. Uh, you can probably see it on the video. And, uh, you know, the Geneva Convention flag that has to be flown that designates us as a medical facility so that the enemy doesn't bomb or attack us. And it's a Red Cross and a Red Crescent because the Western the Western countries recognize the Red Cross. The uh, Middle Eastern Muslim-based uh, religions recognize the Red Crescent. So that's why the flag was flown that way. Well, he told me, he said, those are pretty hard to come by too, Chief. He said, uh, you know, no promises, uh, but, uh, you know, noted. And I said, well, just give me a bologna sandwich and a pat on the back. I said, I, I'm good. I said, we've done well. And so when it came time to say goodbye, which was probably a couple of days before I jumped on the plane and got out of there, they had a little 
a little get together. You're probably familiar with, you did it a thousand times. And they, uh, they gave me the flag and on the flag at the top is my name. And underneath it, it says Blod theater, theater hospital, the dates that I served. And then the bottom of the flag, and this is all embroidered on there. It says maximum fabulous. So Dave, they gave me a flag. Well, how do you, how do you get a flag? You know, I'm I'm a nurse. I'm a I'm a registered nurse, and I I was when I went over there, and I'm a shock trauma nurse. One is I worked with them. I was there all the time when when they blew up the city of Balad more than once, and we had you know 30, 40 really critical casualties all dropped on us in about five minutes. Um, I'm working, and some of the patients I just you know I was I was the lead medic doing that type of stuff. Uh, it's hugely hugely important. So to your point that you made earlier. Uh, that's number one. And number two was, it was the attitude thing. You know, they glommed onto that because they knew that they were going to have bad days or they were having bad days. And and quite frankly, and I believe in Maximum Fabulous. I still do it today. You know, and I, I have I have friends here locally that when they see me and I ask how they're doing, they say, I'm not Max Fab yet, but I'm working towards it because they kind of know that that's what I expect. I want people to to be healthy, especially mentally healthy. So, so. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, it, you know, it's uh, it's that is the the validating story to your comment. Hands on stuff. I spent time, and I have I have wonderful pictures. People, when you start doing things as a chief, people take pictures of it. So I'd be sewing up somebody's head, and they take pictures. I'd be working in the operating room, they take pictures, and it was it, it's kind of neat now to have all of those photos because it's you know it's the people that I was there to care for and to make successful, and I got to work side by side with them. The the type of leadership challenges that you describe that are coming to our nation and our and our and our you know our our larger world population, that's what it's going to require, man. There's no there's no leadership by hitting the send button. That's in the second book. I wrote a chapter about that. You're not going to be able to lead from behind your computer writing a, a four paragraph email and hitting the send button and expect that uh, what you're what you're thinking in your mind will be executed because people don't want that anymore. They want side by side, uh, you know, dirty fingernails kind of leadership. And it's got to come back. Even in our military, it's got to come back. Most certainly. Most certainly. Yeah, I chuckled a couple of times. Good thing my mic was muted. I would have cut you out there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. And 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 yeah, uh, it's, uh, man, I lost my train of thought there on that one. Because again, uh, very insightful, very uh, spot on. And yes, it, it, it definitely shows that if you're not present, you're not there. You can be right. physically standing there, but if you're not present, you're not there. And and obviously, right. yes, it does to get, and I see the flag that you're talking about behind you. Yeah, it does take, it does take being more than just a, a body on the ground. You know, you've got to be the human behind or inside that body. Right. Uh, to make things happen and yes i did follow everyone that hashtag is hashtag maxfab hashtag maxfab i just saw that on on the uh on twitter and yeah everything popped up so pretty cool nice and i did see that uh you have uh one second let me click back on here you had an event coming up yeah that's going to be a lot of fun that story that i just told you is is the nexus of that um i'm talking it's um it's a virtual conference, three-day conference. It's called Fame and Profit. So it covers uh, business leaders across the whole genre, healthcare, you name it, real estate, you name it. Uh, and these are, you know, 
that some of these people that are participating in the conference, these are none of them are less than six figure earning business leaders that are going to be involved in this. And so they whittled down speakers down to 40. They picked 40 speakers to speak over the three days. And somehow I ended up with that opportunity, which is great. Um, I'm really humbled because some of the people that are talking are, are amazing. Anyway, I speak on day three. It's called uh, Fame and Profit. Um, Josh Elledge is the uh, is the leader of the charge. He's a Navy, former Navy guy, as a matter of fact. Josh Elledge is the leader of the charge on um, for the Fame and Profit Summit, one through three November. And the the good thing is is uh, and in fact, you can probably just drop the drop the link in there. I can give it to you. Uh, there's there's an opportunity to sign up to get some some extras. Uh, if you pay a little money, but it's free. The, the the access to the speakers is free. So this is an amazing opportunity to hear from a lot of people that uh, run their own businesses, but they're 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 B two B type of stuff. Uh, my piece in this, I think there may be one other, but I think out of the forty, my piece in this is this organizational attitude thing, uh, especially based around retention, because uh, currently the turnover rate in institutions right now is about 37%. The projected turnover rate in the next year to year and a half is going to be 57%. So you're going to be a 20% increase in turnover. Well, you know, anybody out there that's that's been in an organization with a lot of turnover, you know what turmoil that causes, and that's a leadership challenge in itself. And I've found not just with my not just with with my approach, but a similar approach with a good friend of mine. I have found that this this organizational attitudinal culture uh, and the, the development of it, which is, by the way, you'll appreciate free, no board meetings, no working groups, no, you know, 10 Zoom calls to get this stuff organized. It's just a matter of, uh, of picking what your pushups are and picking up, picking what your max fab is and actually making it real. So you got to believe in it. It's got to be real. Uh, people see fake uh, from 10,000 miles away. So. So yeah, you got to pick you got to pick those two things and and really get after it. So yeah, if if people want to sign up and I'm on day three, but I encourage you to listen to the whole thing because it's it, you know as much of it as you can. Uh, I'm on day three and and it'll be a similar you'll you'll hear a similar story to this. It's even a little more um, uh, expounded. Uh, there's some more nuggets in there. So yeah, it'd be it'd be good fun. Over there talking, I have the mute button on, and which is standard for Zoom calls. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's the, if you don't have the mute button at least once, you're not in a Zoom call. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's the uh, Fame and Profit um, Summit 2022. It's a virtual event. I'm looking at it now. I saw the uh, fameandprofit.com uh, slash tickets yeah. and a couple of, I guess it's got your code behind it. That way it attributes to you. Yeah, it should it should say Dave ninety three. I think is what it says. That is Dave. correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's the one. That is nice. Nice and a good group of people here that are. Uh, oh, amazing! And there's there's people on there from Europe and Australia, and yeah, it's it's uh, um, and they're solid, and we're we're actually doing some connections and and building some relationships, which is really cool. So that's what it's about, right there. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, and, and you've already touched on it just a little bit a couple of times, and again, and earlier off uh, before we actually started, uh, you were mentioning about, well, again, gave us a little bit of information 
on uh, turnover in the organization. And you did mention something that we all know is true. Nobody wants to hear it, but it has to be said, even if they don't want to hear it. And that is that people don't quit organizations. They quit the leaders. Sure. You want to expand on that a little bit? Well, so you'll see if 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 you tune into the conference, you'll see that um, one of the tidbits that I added on there is if you go look, there's 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 two um, two words that are used to describe why people leave based on their leader, and um, they're uh, they're um, they're powerful words. I mean, they actually they actually. It, it hurts your feelings uh, when you say them and uh, um, uh, uninterested and uncaring are, are really damaging. And so, you know, there's, there's a, there's an old adage. You'll see it out there. If you read leadership books to include mine, it's in, it's in mine and I believe in it. You know, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care about them. So I'll say that again. Nobody knows how much, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And I think far too often leaders as they as they go through the ranks. Now, remember, the average leader is probably without a mentor or any type of formal leadership guidance or training until they're 42. So leaders anoint themselves based on their position, right? So if you look at Think about how important I think that I think it's 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 rubbish, but think about how important a signature block is. People work on their signature blocks a lot. Now I've got a signature block in my email that's ridiculous now, but it's because I'm speaking and doing consulting and all that stuff has to be there so people can get at it. But if I wasn't in that in that in that environment, my signature block would probably say Dave. Um, and that would be that. But think about how people look at signature blocks. If you get something that looks like somebody telling or directing or whatever, it doesn't, they might be a subject matter expert. They might be the housekeeper, but they're the subject matter expert on cleaning up whatever it is. But far too often people will scroll to the signature block and they'll go, oh, they're just a coordinator or they're just a technician. And it just drives me absolutely crazy because there's no respect there. So we're talking about, Three, three things, three main reasons why people leave organizations and they have nothing to do with the company, right? They have everything to do. Let me digress for a minute. People have flags. You have a favorite football team, you fly the flag off the front of your house or you put it on your license plate thing or, or whatever. People have flags in their life. They're, we have flags that represent stuff and people want to be part of a flag. They want to fly the flag. They want to be part of something. Almost all people want to be part of something. You can argue that the last two generations have a little less of that. But I would argue that if the leader is is doing the right things, then you want to be part of the organization and you will fly the flag and you'll wear the brand and have the, you know, the left breast pocket full of full of all the words that describe your organization. But people leave organizations because they don't feel cared for. They don't feel respected. And there's two levels of respect. There's the personal respect as a human being and there's the respect for their expertise. Deference to expertise is, is you'll hear that in uh, these high resiliency organizations that they practice deference for, to, to expertise. So, for instance, I'm an emergency manager and you have a COVID outbreak. Well, 
infectious disease, infection prevention, and emergency management. Those would be your three subject matter experts in a hospital. Well, what happens if you discount all three of those people and just say, we're now anointing ourselves as the subject matter experts and we'll just go this, this direction? What do you think happens? Those three people quit, right? So that's a that's a real story that I've watched happen right here in Montana. So yeah, they don't, you know, people will say, well, there's other reasons. And yeah, collectively an organization can have problems in a bunch of places that make somebody collectively say, I've had it. But I'm telling you, if the if the leader, the leader is usually the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it usually has it usually has a lot to do with not respecting people professionally and as a person. You have to be involved with people. You don't know what you don't know. So you need to find out. And and you'll find you'll find that in organizations where leaders walk in the walk in the building and they 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 look across the room and they go, Dave. What's up with the dog? And you go, oh, he went to the vet and they pulled a, you know, they pulled a porcupine quill out of his nose and and he's going to be better, but he, you know, he's having trouble eating. That stuff matters. Huge. And it's free, Dave. It's free. Far too often we go, we've got a turnover problem. And all of a sudden now you have 10 meetings, seven work groups, and some cultural conversations and three surveys coming out of HR. And all those people, and people are like, what are they doing? All I need is for the boss to walk down here and ask me how I'm doing and let me give him him or her a little bit of feedback and see if they'll change something because I'm down here in this world where it's all happening and and I've got some ideas. Just hear people. Just listen. This is, by the way, everything I just covered in there, there's a chapter in the book about all of that. Everything I talked about, it's all in there. And, and you know, at the end of those chapters, there's... Uh, there's um, little one-line nuggets. Um, you'll get to read the book here soon. And there's little one-line nuggets. And one of those nuggets is knowledge is power only when shared. And as a leader, you have to, you know, you have to include people in what you're thinking uh, and communicate appropriately. Once, If that's not done, then people, are, they feel like automatons. They don't feel like they're part of something. Uh, and they certainly don't feel like they're part of something that's bigger than them. And I, you know, human beings want, to want to be that uh, that's why you wear you know your your sweatshirt that says you know xyz baseball team world champions if it's your team you want to be part of that you say we right when you when you talk about your favorite sports team and i know you do sports talk think about when somebody calls in on a sports talk on a sports talk uh show and they're going to talk i'm a dolphins fan in fact i have season tickets to the dolphins i fly from montana to miami to do that when I talk about the Dolphins, I say we. We've had a lot of injuries. We get our quarterback back this week. We think about that in a work environment. And if your people are saying maximum fabulous and they're saying we and they're saying us and they're, you know, and they're 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 taking positive thought and they're spreading it around the organization, who wants to leave that? Nobody. So go find the people that are leaving, Dave, and ask them why they're leaving. And they usually have a laundry list. It's like a divorce. They have a laundry list. They've done pros and cons. And, and, and they'll tell you, 
I tried this and I tried that and I'm just at my wit's end and I can't do it anymore. And it sounds like somebody that has been married for an awful long time that's decided to get divorced and and has had to do all of the things to for them to be mentally prepared to do that to make sure they didn't leave anything on the table, you know, as far as trying. So I know that's a long diatribe on why people are, are leaving organizations, but uh, the messages to the leaders are all there. I, we talked about my second book and and the title's probably, well, the title is going to be um, the cows are all laying down and the subtitle will be, why are people quitting you, the leader? Uh, you know, on the farm, when the cows are all lying down, you better look in the sky because there's probably a bolt of lightning coming. They're, they're, the animals are intuitive and they, they can kind of predict things, especially weather. Um, and it's not just cows. And, and as a leader, if you're walking by those signs in your organization and then you want to look up one day and go, well, what the heck happened? You know, why did I run to the top of the hill with my flag and got and get there and nobody is there? Well, I will tell you, I don't think I've ever met a leader that's had a catastrophic personnel event uh, in their unit or their or their company that's had a catastrophic where you have mass exodus. I don't think I've ever, ever, ever had a leader that when you finally go back and have a conversation with them, that all of those subtle signs were there. They just didn't want to put the time in. They just didn't want to put the time. They want to hit the send button and they want to keep tapping their badge that says director, senior director, chief executive. You know, I, I'm this. You and I experienced that in the military, the difference between the people that we really remember as good leaders and, you know, that, that crazy major that, you know, is a turtle on a fence post. So, so there's a there's a there's a lot there. And you throw on top of the stuff that you just mentioned about the world and finances and and people looking for leaders. And, and we probably are a little short in that area of true leaders that are willing to to really get their hands dirty and, and get down and, and do the things, you know, go to the operating room and do the things that need to be done. Uh, you 57 percent might be low. <laughs> so. Uh, with the turnover rate, especially with the generations that are that are considering that the the millennials um, not you know are are turnover people. They have a lot of jobs, and the Z's right behind them. Uh, you know these the Gen Z's aren't like the millennials. They're not they're not uh, high needs. They are independent, and they just want to be given a job. They want to be paid uh, well for it, and they want to be told what to do, and then they want to be left alone. So think that how hard that is for people that like you and I. So when you're leading. To, to get your mind around that and to, to shape it, you know, shape your leadership style to work, work with that. So how's that for a diatribe? Yeah, no, hey, again, but it is, it's sometimes it's those things that have to be said and they have to be said over and over again. It, it's not something like, Oh, it's, it's, it's just, you know, we'll put this up here on the dry erase board this week and next week we'll replace it with the next, uh, the next, uh, the next flavor of the month or next flavor of the week. Uh, it, it's, core it's foundational it's basic it, it, it's the foundation of what mis needs to be done and and again yeah so no you hit it right on the nail right on the head same thing i talk about if you're not out there walking around the floor you don't know what's going on right absolutely so so try try this one on uh i just wrote this is the, my newest chapter so i'm giving you a, a framework of the chapter and i'll tell you where it came from so that the People might pay attention. And it just it hit me like a bolt of lightning. I knew it and it's been bothering me for a while because it's an adjunct to everything that we just talked about with this 
with this, you know, knowing what's going on with your people and, and being involved. Uh, this, um, when you were in the army, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was merit-based to include how many push-ups you could do, right? That mattered. And so, um, we've, we've shifted away societally. We've shifted away from merit-based performance and we've shifted more into, um, something that looks like set the bar, put numbers and everybody get to the number. And, uh, and you just do it collectively. So the only variable in that type of, of management environment, the only variable is the number, right? So if the number is one and everybody is getting a one, then you move it to two and then everybody has to work harder to get to two. Or if the number is nine and nobody can get to nine, instead of sharpening our skills and working hard and getting to nine, we lower it to 6.5, right? So, so I'm watching, I'm flying to Miami and I'm watching Top Gun Maverick for the first time. The new movie, the one that makes everybody tear up and cry and, and leave with a lot of patriotism and feel good stuff. And in the middle of the movie, I don't know if you've seen it, but in the middle of the movie, they have a they have a training accident. And this this training is all based around these numbers I'm talking about. Time on target, stuff they've got to do. They have a training accident. They lose a plane. They don't lose the pilot, but they lose a plane. And the first reaction by the admirals that are running this whole thing are to fire Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is training training these guys. And they said, you're relieved. You're not, you know, you're not welcome back. And in fact, you need to get out of the Navy, blah, blah, blah. And um, the first thing that the guy, the admiral that takes over the training goes back. And the first thing that he does is he says, I know that, that you guys were all training to be on, on the target in two minutes and 15 seconds. He said, we're moving that to four minutes. And Dave, it just, I, I said, I'm going to write it. Now I'm going to write it because I've been thinking it for a long time. And I said, now I'm going to write it. People are leaving organizations and losing faith in their leaders or they're rudderless. They're in organizations that are rudderless because all the standards that were, were and are put into place to ensure excellence and safety and, and our, our uh, measures of, um, of not just success, but, but the quality of your product, whatever that is, if that's, if that's doing hip surgeries, that's one thing. If it's if it's uh, building cars, it's another thing. All of those things that are put into place have now become negotiable. So, for instance, your your beloved army just decided they did they decided undecided and then redecided to to start taking soldiers um, without high school diplomas. And oh, by the way certain high-level misdemeanors, as long as they weren't felonies, are waived and they let people in. Well, why is that? Well, because you got recruiting goals and it's a ball volunteer force and you need to, you need to, you know, we have to take from our, from our population. And so, you know, if you, you know, what would exclude you because of tattoos, we can't do anymore because everybody that we need to, that we need to, to join and to serve and to protect our, our way of life, um, they all have tattoos. So you've got to shift those things. So we have to be really careful with that because when you shift off of the off of the standard, there's actually people out there, Dave, that see that as a negative in their leaders. The wishy-washy thing, just just put the bar high enough so that everybody can jump over it. Well, that how how motivated are you to go to work and and get an A plus every day? 
And this leads into into quiet quitting. It leads into what people are, how people are going to react to this this economic downturn. I I'm old enough, Dave, that I remember people bought houses for eighteen to 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 nineteen percent interest. The first car I bought when I came back from my first assignment was in Spain. When I came back from Spain, after I'd been back for a year, so it was nineteen eighty eight, end of nineteen eighty eight. The first car that I bought, my interest rate was 17.5%. Nobody would even buy a car for that today. They wouldn't even think about it. But it was reality back then. So we're going to a place we've been before. There's just a lot of people that haven't, haven't experienced it. That takes leadership and, and, and in there, you know, the things that I'm, the things that I'm talking about. So yeah, we leaders, you know, you see the core value word a lot that excellence, it's one of the Air Force's core values. You see the core value of excellence. Well, how can you have excellence when you change the measure of excellence when everybody can't achieve the the uh, the end goal, whatever that is, the metric, you can't achieve the metric. Well, that happens. I'm not a pro. I love baseball. I'm not a professional baseball player for a couple of reasons. One was I can't run. God didn't give me the ability to run. I can't be a basketball player because I certainly can't jump. But I'm pretty good at some other things. And the Air Force figured out I was good at medicine. So um, we've got to we've got to be we've got to be really careful with that. Or what we're going to have is a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. This quiet quitting thing is is real, and uh, um, we're letting it happen. Uh, quiet quitters in the 50s and 60s were asked to leave organizations because. They needed more effort, and there was somebody willing to take their job in five minutes. So, another diatribe for you. <laughs> no, don't worry about that. That's, uh, but again, it, it answers the question and expands on, on the answers as well. So, uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. And like I said, I'm so firm believer. If it needs to be said, it has to be said. It must be said. Uh, yeah. There's no two ways around it. Uh, that's really the only way we're going to get. Um, I feel a, a caliber of leader that is going to be one that people will willingly follow, not because, oh, well, that's the only person standing through attrition. There's our leader. That's that's not, that doesn't make a leader. Attrition definitely does not make a leader. Right. Uh, but those that are willing to listen, work hard and do it. Yeah, most most definitely. I'm really looking forward to reading your book. It, it's in my appeal box. I know that much. Yeah. I just yeah. gotta go go up there and pick it up from it's, behind the counter. And it's it's when people tell me, well, I'm not much of a book reader, I said, I tell them, I wrote the book for you. You can read a chapter. If you go to bed and say, I'm sleepy, you can read a chapter. And if you like it, you'll get to a second chapter and you'll get through it. The chapters are short, they're they're impactful, and they um they have insights at the end of them, and you can gobble it up, but you can also stop. And um, it's just uh, just my it's just it's my life wrapped around a lot of a lot of situations from all over the world and and in a lot of different environments and a lot of different diverse uh, experiences. And they're just my nuggets and, and I'm throwing them out there. I'm sharing them with everybody because, uh, you know, if you get one nugget I, and as I write in the front of the book, if you get one nugget out of this, just one nugget then it was worth writing a book. And so, yeah, I hope, I hope people um, pick up a copy, you know, the price is reasonable, especially on Kindle and, and, and enjoy it. And then, you know, write, write a review. If you hate it, write a review. If you, if you like it, write a review. 
Um, and then, you know, you're going to tell people how to get a hold of me. So, you know, send me a note and we can have more conversations because this is, it's all good stuff. And it's, you're right. It's, it is, it's all extremely important. I, I only fear, I only fear for, for people out there that really want to do the right thing and they really want to lead. Um, it's getting a little more difficult because you can get shouted down and, and, um, and kind of pushed in the corner for, for rocking the boat. And boy, if that would have been the case when I was coming up through leadership, I would have been, I would have been an E1 on my way out at four years. And I had people that believed in me because I had the courage to kind of get out in front of things and they helped me along. And that's probably our job, Dave, is to, is to get in front of people and, and help them, you know, clear the way, clear all the, all the garbage out of their way so that they can continue to do the right things. And, so that's why I'm here. That's why the book is here. And, and and I'll continue to give back until my last breath. And folks, that book is Giving Back Life and Leadership from the Farm to the Combat Zone and Beyond. Leaders are appointed and anointed only by their peers and followers. And again, that's by Dave Nordell. It's on Amazon, Kindle, paperback, and hardcover. And the next book is that is that the official title the cows are laying down or is that the, the cows country? are laying down why are your people quitting you the leader there we go why are your people that should probably you? be out why well, just i've got um i've got probably another dozen one-liners that get mm -hmm. me started on a chapter so i've got a couple of months but uh once i get started it'll go quick so probably beginning of next year middle next year nice nice just in time for those so uh, springtime read something to read That's over right. the easter break there we go That's right. <laughs> there we go all righty and well okay now so we talked about the books we talked about the content in the book and the first question and people ask me all the time and i'm going to ask you because it's your turn um for your first book what was that defining moment that made you decide to write your first book wow it's amazing i've done a few podcasts and this question always gets asked so the statistics, I'm not a statistics guy, by the way, but I think some are relevant. The, out of every 100 people that want to write a book, well, let's say 200. Out of every 200 people that want to write a book, one writes it. That's that's the statistics. It's half a person per 100. One writes it. And I think everybody has a book in them. I really do. And I think just the way our minds work and how we how we you know kind of work work through our lives and use examples and those kind of things. I think everybody has a book in them or our imaginations, you know, for, for uh, uh, fiction stuff. So um, no, what happened here, Dave was I'm a storyteller, as you can tell. And, and I've led, you know, through storytelling, through examples, either mine or, or somebody else's. And I just had some people that were near and dear in my life that kind of pulled me aside and said, Hey, you need to write this stuff down. You know, it's basically, you know, put up or shut up because uh, you're going to forget all this stuff at one at some point in time. And, and we all need this. And so with that level of encouragement, um, I put some words on a piece of paper in January of this year. And by June, we had a book and, uh, you know, the feedback's been great. My 88 year old mother told me that uh, I wrote it 40 years too late because she needed all this stuff in the book, which was which was um which was pretty interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's things in there. My journey with alcohol is in there. You know, I have PTSD um, from some of the things I've described and, and I think that I'm doing a pretty good job with that, but you know, our veterans aren't, I'm very passionate about, you know, the mental, the mental health things and those kind of things. So why would you not do it? 
you know, if I truly believe in giving back, which I do, um, this is one form. You and I having this conversation is another form. Um, but the book being being available for people to pick up and work their way through, I think is important. And I think the second book's important, or I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. So, you know, I don't have a I don't have a million readers, um, but uh, we'll work on that. And then, you know, hopefully, uh, when people get through the book, they do things differently. I had a buddy of mine call me after he finished reading the book and he says, I just finished apologizing to my wife and I quit drinking because she's been living with a drunk her whole life. That stuff's pretty powerful. So if that only happens once or twice from one book, I'll take it. I'm not short on words. (laughs) That's a good thing. That is a very good thing. Um, All righty. Well, no, definitely um, it uh, veteran side of things, definitely very passionate about as well. Um, Got to, got to, you know, let everybody know, hey, you know, we did something and we're still kind of technically still doing something, but uh, we also need to, within each other, within the brotherhood, we definitely need to share with everybody, hey, don't, don't be afraid to make the call either. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, great, great services out there. Yeah. It's, um, so I'll give you a story Mm -hmm. and then I'll, that will migrate into my story. When I was the command chief at Hill Air Force Base in Ogden, Utah, uh, we had the second largest explosive ordnance disposal unit in the Air Force. So, as you know, these are the these are the mine finders and the and the IED fixers, right? You know, make make things go away. And as you know, in the DoD, that's a pretty DoD wide. That's a pretty small batch of folks. So we had Air Force guys leading Marine units and Army units and and embedded with them. And, and these were my guys. Uh, we lost during my time, we lost two guys out of the unit. Actually, three. Um, right around the time I got there, we lost the first one and then two more during my tenure. Well, um, I had gone to, in my early years, I had gone to advanced medic school. A handful of guys in the Air Force, they send you back to school and you're you're the doc. I mean, they teach you how to take care of patients and run your pharmacy and do all those things. And and I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in in units by myself, being the medic, being the 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 whole hospital in one kind of thing. Well, these EOD units always had a medic embedded with them, same 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 genre. So I had access to their community at a little different level as their senior senior leader on the installation. You know, I was the senior enlisted leader for the whole base, but and this was one squadron within that but um the squadron that was suffering and so when we lost uh chris soulsby tech sergeant chris soulsby when we lost chris uh the unit did um they do some odd things that would be odd to the normal person they do some odd things when they lose somebody and they would make a whole video presentation of everybody bring in pictures of, you know, them with Chris, Chris training, whatever it was. And they'd make this big collage with a little bit of music around it or just commentary from, from the crowd. And they would sequester themselves in this big, large room. And they would go through this and, and in there there's tears and there's anger and there's everything's coming out, but it's just DOD guys. So I get invited to this thing, which is, which is like, a I don't know, it's like going to a church that you're not part of the denomination and you have to have an invite to get in, pick your church. 
And so I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm watching this and it's painful. It's, it's emotional. And at the end of it, one of the E7, one of the master sergeants says to me, he says, he says, chief, how do you think we're doing? And I said, you guys suck. I said, you're doing terrible. I said, you're doing self-care. I said, the only person that you talk to is, is each other. I said, you're, you're, you're handling your emotional pain by adding 20 more pounds to your rucksack and 10 more degrees to the hillside that you're running up. And I said, and you're breaking yourself physically and your problem is emotional and you don't know how to do that. And it's all because you don't trust anybody to have any ability to help you out outside of this community, which means we're only going to get worse because you better start finding the right people to help you with these things um, or else we're, we're going to have a lot of, we're going to have a lot of problems that led to a lot of cool things. We don't need to go into that now, but uh, it changed the air force that, that actual one moment thing there, what I, what I did with that and who I gave that to and what they did with it actually changed the whole way that we approached those people in the air force. And we set up some things to help them. So why do I tell you that? Because guess who the biggest hypocrite in the crowd was, Dave? It was me. It was me. It was me running around doing my own self-care. And I'm tough enough and I'll handle it. And there's a whole chapter in the book about um, people even cry on the farm. But it, it, what it talks about is standing there in the in the theater hospital in Balad, you know, with, with, with flag-draped body bags, you know, um, of, of the men of this country that all looked like my kid and everybody is emotionally spent and they're crying. And it's, it's you know, we, we had a ceremony that went along with that when these things happened, they're emotionally crying. And I didn't cry. I didn't cry the whole tour, Dave. It wrecked me. It was the most damaging thing that I ever did. Cause you know, emotions, crying being one of them. I mean, that's all chemical reactions. Laughing is a chemical reaction. Crying is a chemical reaction. I mean, we're we're based on that type of stuff. And when you get those chemicals screwed up, it screws up your head. And so when you have visual or physical PTSD or whatever, um, those, those things that you can't unsee, unhear, and unsmell are there forever. There is no magic pill. There is no surgery. It's there forever. And you got to get your head around that. Now, that's a pretty steep mountain to climb. Why would you do that on your own? Here's why. Here's I, I I've got I've I've likened it to this analogy. If you're driving down the road tomorrow, Dave, and two cars in front of you, a guy hits a guy on a bicycle coming across a crosswalk, knocks him down in the middle of the road. You're going to get out of your car. If you have any medical training, you're going to grab your first aid kit. If you don't, you might grab a blanket or a jacket. You're probably going to grab your phone and dial 911. And you're going to walk over to the guy that got knocked off the bike or the gal that got knocked off the bike. And you're going to say, are you okay? And you're going to get a reaction to that. Yes, no, they're unconscious, something. And that's going to make you do something else. You're going to intervene. When people have mental health bicycle accidents, we drive 14 blocks around it. Looking the other way, because we think that we're not qualified to intervene. And I argue that we are absolutely qualified. It's no different than CPR. In fact, there's classes that you can take on mental health that are exactly like CPR. First responder, first first intervener classes. 
When you go to somebody that wants to put a gun in their mouth, I've been there. I'm, I'm that guy. When you go to somebody that wants to put a gun in their mouth and you say, are you okay? You don't seem yourself today. You start healing at that point in time because somebody, somebody crossed the line just far enough to say, are you okay? And it just builds, it just builds a layer of, of hope and, and, and intervention. And that person doesn't need to know anything about mental health. They don't need to know anything about suicide or be some professional on X, Y, and Z. You just need to be the same human as the one that got out of the car to go see how the person is that got hit by the bike. But why don't we do that? What is what is the affinity to that? There's, I know there's a stigma around mental health. <laughs> Certain personality types don't deal well with their mental health problems because they don't know how to ask for help because of it's it goes back to your childhood and how you were raised and what your values are, <clears throat> how you think you'll be perceived. I get all of that. But that doesn't do you a lot of good if you've hurt yourself or you've committed suicide or you start beating your wife or you're so drunk you can't see straight. You know, I write in a book about my journey with alcohol. That is the most dependable thing on the face of the planet. It is always there. It is always available. It always does exactly what you want. It doesn't argue back. It is It is like being married. And divorcing it is the, is the most awful divorce you'll ever go through. But once it's done, it's it's completely liberating. I, I enjoy every Monday morning just for the fact that I don't have a foggy head from, you know, my first mimosa or bloody mary on a sunday morning thinking that that was just kind of the thing that you did and so there's a lot there and you know it's you you've got you've got to understand that that taking the first step sometimes you have people taking 95 steps for you after that but you got to take the first step you have to and if you care about people and you can truly ask in earnest, I have a friend that has a nonprofit and it's titled ask in earnest for this particular reason. Her father committed suicide. He was a farmer. And, uh, and he used to, he was known for the guy that would put ask in earnest. If you're asking in earnest, you know, it goes back to, if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. So you better go find out. Don't sit across the room and say, they don't seem right today. Go tell them that they don't seem right. You may open up a bag of tricks that that uh, that is fulfilling for you and it's life saving for them. So, you know, you you talk about it, they're hard things and they need to be talked about and said over and over again. I'm going to scream this one from the mountaintops every chance I get. And when somebody talks to me about, and I've been asked, you know, tell me about PTSD or you know suicidal ideation and you know how close were you to killing yourself? All the things that come out. My therapist even asked me this question about military suicide. I was I told her I was going to charge her for half of the visit because it, it was almost a reverse consultation. What it comes down to is somebody's got to ask. Somebody's got to ask. What does it feel like? It's lonely. It's lonely until somebody fills the void. It's hard. You know, those those demons, I you know, I don't know where you're at in your life and, and what your army time, where that took you. But when you when you have these these things, these demons, this stuff that's there all the time, uh, you got to make friends with it. Because it's part of you. It's part of you. And so one way to make friends with it is to have the right people involved in your life um, with your inner circles and, and formally and informally involved in your life. And you and you and you got to. You got to learn to live with it. And, and in some ways you can make it a blessing. And that's why 
that's why I put it in the book. And that's why I share on, on things like this. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it anymore um, because I'm in a good spot. And it's only, it wasn't, you know, it, it took a big giant blood clot in both of my lungs and a near death experience five years ago for all of that to bubble to the top for me to say, okay, well, that was, that was somebody's way of telling you that uh, you're not in control, not completely. And so if you want to be in control and, and be in, a, in the right way, you need to go get the help. So I encourage everybody to do that. If you want to talk to me about it, Dave's giving you the, the information. You should probably throw my website up there, Dave. Um, that's an easy way to type me a note any, any way you want. And um, just go on there and click on work with Dave and just, you can just write me a note. I mean, we can just pen pal it. I mean, it's, there's no financial obligation uh, until you ask for, you know, some official, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's heavy stuff. And we shouldn't have 22 veterans a day killing themselves and, and realize the majority of those veterans that are killing themselves, it has nothing to do with combat related trauma. It has everything to do with this, this, re-inculcation into the civilian community that loss of brotherhood that loss of having a foxhole buddy and 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 the things that go along with that and it's real and so you've got to be able to ask for help especially when you feel like you're in trouble because i know if you fell in a vat of quicksand tomorrow and i was standing next to you and it was quickly running up to to your neck the first word out of your mouth would be help so when you have an emotional quicksand event you need to probably ask for help because somebody's going to help you. That's what we do. Exactly. Exactly. And most definitely. Yeah, I know. Um, in, in speaking with other veterans, um, you know, we all have, we all carry something. All of us carry something to everybody's, you know, it's unique to them. And therefore, you know, I cannot say, well, you know, my experience trumps your experience. No, it's not like that. Everyone is different. Every experience is different. And, there is no cookie cutter approach, but there is only one approach. And it's like you mentioned, take that first step without a yeah. doubt. That's the that's the only thing that's common in all of that is, is take that first step. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, man, a time has flown. We've got. I know. I know, uh, brother. Well, you know what? Yeah, read the book. If you think there's more there, maybe <laughs> we can do it. Maybe we can do a second I, one. Especially I have no. Actually, around the time of your new one. So, so there you go. Let's, yeah. let's, let's do one uh, around the time of the second book. That way we can talk about that one and, and dissect it and rip it apart. And we'll tear out all the pages one at a time. How's that sound? Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm all in. All right. all in. And, and before, before we really formally wrap this up, I definitely want to ask and, and get this, um, give you an opportunity. If in everything we talked about today, did we miss something, anything, any message you definitely want to get across, uh, Anything you like, oh, I need to mention this. Uh, the floor is yours. Sure. Um, I'll make this. I won't even I won't even belabor belabor the story too much. Uh, there's some stuff in the book about some times when I had to make some really tough calls as a leader. And it got really lonely. And I took a beating, uh, an absolute beating from from peers and superiors uh, because of the direction that I took. And and the example in the book is um, I had a. I had an airman that got sick. He was under my care and I sent him to be, I referred him out to another doctor who just happened to be a full bird colonel commander. And that doctor sexually assaulted him and I had to report him. 
And when I reported him, um, uh, the whole world turned on me. Um, my whole inner circle and everything turned on me. And it was violently bad until it all came out and he had sexually assaulted other people and they ended up court-martialing him and he went to jail. But a lot of those relationships never repaired. And to this day, I thank God that I had the courage to stay the course because if not, there would still be a predator out there. And leadership, when you're doing the right things as a leader, it gets really, really freaking lonely and it can make you sad. And um, it's a trait you've, you, you, you've got to stay the course. You've got to do the right thing, no matter how tough it gets. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, a big part of this. So. Well, most definitely will be cracking the spine on that book as soon as I get it out of the PO <laughs> okay. box. Uh, that, that's I love cracking the spines on books because it's like you know, you you're, the, you're the first one reading those words out of that book, that one book in your hand. And then, right. So, so I love doing it. And no, and then of course, you know, you share it with everybody else. You pass the book around, you make sure uh, your yeah. friends, hey, it's a great book. Read this, check this out. Yeah. And then, but you know, now they're now someone else is reading the words. But no, I'm looking forward to to reading your book, giving yeah. back life and leadership from the farm to the combat zone and beyond. Leaders are appointed and anointed only by their peers and followers. It's on Amazon and Kindle, paperback, hardcover. Uh, is it at Barnes and Noble and all the other Barnes and Noble? Yeah, you can get it. Balboa Press, Barnes and Noble. Okay. Uh, you can get it at Walmart. You can get it. You, if if you shop around, you you save a few pennies and and uh, and uh, have a good time with it. Good deal. Uh, question: Is it any any chance of it coming to audio? You know, I've been asked that. The second book will absolutely be audio. There's yeah. absolutely no doubt that we're going to do that. So, yeah. But this one, no. That's a just a rookie thing. Yeah. If I knew what I knew, then I would have done what I did. I, did, <laughs> I would have done. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That sounds like a Yogi Berra euphemism there coming out. That's right. If I knew what I knew, I would have done what I did. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good deal. Yeah. It's all oh, good. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you. No, I appreciate uh, on, on you. Lot, on a lot of levels. And there's a there's a brother, sister, brother, sister, brother, sisterhood that uh yeah. that exists between all of us that served and and some things don't ever have to be said because we understand. And then uh the things that you're doing are vitally, vitally important because not only do you see a need, but uh, you want to fill it. And, and boy, we need a lot of that. Yeah. So, well, so thank you, sir. Good on you, brother. Well, thank you much. Thank you. Uh, I will be sharing folks. I will be sharing all the links on the links in this episode section of our show notes on, on the uh, website where the, this podcast will play. Uh, so all of that will be there. Uh, LinkedIn, your LinkedIn information will be there. Your Twitter information, your sure. website information. I have everything there. As a matter of fact, I'm about to hit the follow button there on the LinkedIn there. So you'll get a new follower there on LinkedIn okay. here in just a bit. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. And everybody, we've been talking to Nave. I'm sorry. We've been I'm putting everything together. I'm making new words all of a sudden. It's a, it's, a, it's a new thing. So we've been talking with Dave Nordell and former former active duty United States Air Force Command Chief Master Sergeant with over 30 years service, uh, RN, emergency manager, registered nurse, and an emergency manager uh, all over the world, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, South America, but I guess that was on the government plan. 
Uh, <laughs> right. that's that's what i tell people you know, yeah. went over here went over there but that was on the government plan and right. again uh definitely a definite um outdoorsman because he lives in montana because if you if you're not in if you're in montana you have to be an outdoorsman uh it, it's like where i'm at here in texas i have the gulf coast an hour to to the west i never go i'm sorry to the east to the east i never go I go maybe once every three years to the coast because it's right. always something going on. But Montana, definitely, you'd find me out there. I don't even think I'd have a podcast. So there right. we go. And again, Dave, thank you very much for joining us this uh, afternoon out of your busy schedule. And I know deer season open, as you mentioned at the top of the episode. Right. Uh, how'd you do? Oh, it's the first day. That's just it's just poking around. You know, we don't uh, we don't uh, we don't sweat it on the first couple of days besides it's kind of raining sideways and a lot of wind mm. today and <laughs> it's supposed to get snow tomorrow be the first snow of the year probably oh, or wow. the, the first snow of this of this uh you know fall winter time frame so <clears throat> excited for that actually um when the snow gets on the ground everything gets easier and better as far as outdoor stuff so i love it yeah there you go good deal well good luck if you All have right. any uh if you catch it if you get anything Good luck out there if you well, see them. First of all, if you see them, then good luck after that. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'll uh, I'll uh, offline. I'll send you send you some pictures. Oh, cool. Oh, good deal. Again, yeah. thank you very much, Dave, and uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Take care. Well, that's it for this episode of the Walking Leader Podcast. Do you have any questions, comments, or concerns for me, my guest, Dave Nordell, here on episode two fifty one? If you do, drop me an email at davidavegarrett.com. Also, Dave Nordell's contact information will be on this episode's show notes on my website. So if you need to reach out to Dave, there's where you can go visit and get that information. All the links will be there. And of course, you can always leave a voicemail message at uh, the Walking Leader hotline at 956-720-0060 and leave a message. Or reach out to me on Twitter at Dave Guerra, all one word. That's uh, at the at symbol, D-A-V-E-G-U-E-R-R-A, Dave Guerra, all one word. And I do look forward to hearing from you. And again, I want to thank my guest, Dave Nordell, for taking time out of hunting season. I, I, it, it was good. He had another weekend to go. So that was all good. And I want to thank you, the listener, for your time. I do appreciate you making it to this point of the episode. I am David Guerra, author of the books, The Walking Leader and Great to Follow. And I invite you to subscribe to The Walking Leader podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, and Stitcher. And you can find all those links on the DaveGuerra.com website. And lastly, I want to remind you, to always go beyond the grind and go beyond the hustle because that is the only way to be the walking leader and a leader that is truly great to follow. And uh, until next time, I thank you. The Walking Leader Podcast is a David Guerra presentation.